I'm really glad you're here today. Um, we are in the middle of a sermon series, or the second week of a sermon series that um, I'm really excited about. And I told Risha um, yesterday, or on the way here, that I, this is a sermon I've been thinking about for a long time and um, been praying hard. I did run a half marathon yesterday, and, and my legs are wobbly, and I could make it kind of whiny today when I got out of bed, like, oh, I just don't want to... The truth is, I, I, what I got to say today comes right from God, and I don't want you to miss it. And so I don't, I'm gonna, I've been trying to suck it up all morning and, uh, and, and just make this today about the message God has laid on my heart. But here's what I know. Here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. If I don't stop before I hear something like what I believe we're going to hear today, I, I'll just, it'll just be one more thing, and it might give you a cold chill, or there might be a moment where you get a little bit moved. But then if I don't stop and kind of just get some perspective on my life and remind myself of what's most important and what's way down on the list, then this just goes in, in one ear and out the other. Um, and so what I want for you to do today, and I, I, you need to know I put a lot of work into this and a lot of prayer into this, and you put a lot of work into this today. I mean, it, it's not easy to get your kids. You, now you've got to put coats on, too, to get them here, to get in the get, Today you had to bring food, some of you. There's a lot of work into this, so don't waste it today. By thinking about your bills, by thinking about yourself, by thinking about your job, by thinking about... Don't waste it by losing perspective on your life today. And here's the way we kind of get a break on that. God says that He, st- he speaks in a small voice. Um, now, he, he doesn't always speak in a small voice. In fact, if you look through the Bible, there are times where he spoke so loudly that it like cracked the earth and things, big things happened. So he can speak in a loud voice, but he chooses a small voice because he won't compete with all those thoughts in your head. He doesn't want to compete with that. He won't compete with that. So you have to turn all that stuff down to hear him, and that's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you just about 30 seconds to pray, and and here's the cool thing about it. You don't have to say any kind of prayer to God. I don't know if you know this about prayer, but God actually knows what you're thinking and feeling and knows your heart, so you can't hide anything from him. That's the bad news. But the good news is you don't have to be really smart and you don't have to be really good with your words with God. You just kind of open your heart. So during these 30 seconds, if you can just, all, all you have to do is kind of quiet your life and say, God, I want my life to be quiet so I can hear you. Say that however you want to say it. Um, and let's do that for the next 30 seconds, and then we'll jump in this together. All right, God, there's a bunch of us in here today who maybe couldn't even pray pray that simple prayer. Maybe because we're mad at you. Maybe because we're not even sure you exist. Maybe because we never really pray. Yeah, I'm I'm praying you'd even see through all those things right now. Because you you don't even need us to actually verbalize anything. You can just see right into our hearts and into our lives. So would you look into our lives today and would you you speak some truth into our lives? And... uh, I don't have the experience of hearing your voice. That doesn't happen to me. But I unmistakably get moved by something I hear that doesn't sound like the world. Would you move us today towards all the things you have for us? Got anything we've done this week that makes us feel far from you? Would you help us remember today that there is nothing that can separate us from you? 
pray that you'd be honored by the way we sit here, by the way we choose to listen and turn down the noise in our lives in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're in the, in the second week of a series um, called When, and the idea about when is what do you do when God seems inattentive? What do you do when God seems uncooperative? And what do you do when God just seems late with all the things that you want in your life? And the reason I want to start with this sermon series is because I'm going to jump into, at the very end of this, I'm going to jump into, between now and the end of the year, um, uh, 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 talking about prayer. And we're going to just talk about what it means to pray. It's going to be kind of fun. I've actually got a couple little scenarios where I'm going to ask for some volunteers. I'll ask you before you get here so you don't have to be nervous. Be some people who like to be up here anyway. And we're going to have like a, even like play a little bit the kind of prayers that we do and have just have some fun with this. And we're going to ask we're going to ask some questions and I hope answer some questions that you may have always had about prayer but you didn't think it was okay to ask these questions like questions that 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 your mom and dad would have kind of gone like I don't want to answer that and maybe you've got questions that you never really asked out loud because you're afraid you get struck by lightning or something we're going to ask those questions and I promise we won't get struck by lightning at least not not intentionally by God on those quick days so but before we get to these parts about praying and about how to pray I want to have these three conversations about what do we do when we pray and we ask God for what we want and, the, and we don't get what we need. We don't get what we think we need. We don't get what we want from God. And maybe you felt this way. Maybe you felt like in your life that God is inattentive. What I mean by inattentive is that you've just felt like God is not there. He, he's just, maybe if he does exist, he is just, um, the, the, the word for it in religion is deist, uh, deist, um, studies deism and they believe that what God did was he created the earth a long time ago and there is a God and he got it all spent and he kind of just spun the world and then sits back in his lazy boy recliner puts his arms up and just sees what happens at that point that's kind of what that's the hillbilly way of explaining what deism is um, if you're a deist you're probably really offended by what I just said but that's the way I kind of see it that that guy kind of spun it he kind of lets it go and it whatever happens, happens. And I think there are parts of us as Christians and parts, if, if you're here and you're not, you don't even put yourself in the Christian category, you're not even sure what you believe, if you believe, there's sometimes you believe, and you know that, even if you consider yourself an atheist, there's sometimes you get up in the morning and there's a sunset or something happens and you're just like, yeah, this stuff isn't an accident. Even if you believe, it, there are times that you just got to believe this is real. But maybe you just believe God spun it and let it go. And that he's just not in it, he's just not attentive. Maybe you believe that he's uncooperative, that there really is a God, and some of you in this place would have been so mad at God before, you've been like, I'm not even going to talk to God anymore, I'm not going to, but then you leave here, and all you do is think about how mad you are about God, and you're like, well, I'm not talking to God anymore, and God goes, well, that's praying, what you're doing right now, thinking about me and getting mad, no, it's not, I'm not even, yes, it is, you just keep doing it, you know, and, and you, you kind of got mad at God, but you're, you're, you've been in this so long, and you've seen God work in so many ways, there's no question, you can't get rid of your faith, it's it's there. You're just really mad at God because for some reason, he's uncooperative with you. And what makes matters worse is you seem to live a little better life than the people around you who he gives, seems like he gives them everything. And you just go, God, I just got this one thing I want you to give me or this one thing I want you to get rid of in my life. And you seem to be completely uncooperative. What do you do when that happens? And what do you do when you feel like God is just late? Like maybe you got what you asked for, but it's like way too late now. You know, and, and, and God, you just, you don't have no sense of timing, God. And, and I don't know if you feel those ways, but that's the way we're talking about over the next few weeks. And today I want to talk about what happens when God is just in, uncooperative with us. When we, when we pray or when we ask, or some of you in this place just feel like if, I, if I'm good enough, 
You know, I'm, a, I'm pretty much a good person. I make some mistakes, but I'm pretty much... A, if, I'm, if I'm good enough, God will give me all the things that I need and all the things that I want. And the truth is, what happens when we feel like God is being uncooperative with us? Like, I, God, if you would just give me this, then things would be better. And if you just do this, then I'll do this, and things would be better. But God doesn't seem to cooperate. And what happens is when... This is just human nature. But when we feel like God's uncooperative, we begin to doubt that he even exists in the first place. And I think part of it is you feel like if there really was a God, and if I really can't think of him like a dad, and if he really does love me, and he sees these things that I obviously need in my life, how could he love me? How could he possibly care for me? How could there be a God if he sees these things in my life and he's not cooperating with the things that I think need to happen? And the problem is, this is something, this is a common human experience. The problem is, it's incredibly unrealistic, and it's just not logical. In fact, thinking about God in terms of his, his cooperation with you, and, and deciding that, you know what, because God doesn't cooperate with me, it must mean he doesn't exist. This is not rational. We don't do this in any way other way of our life. It would be like my kids every night, every night in my house during a weekday, bedtime is 8 o'clock. Okay, it is 8 o'clock, we start the bedtime. And at 8 o'clock, it is teeth brushed, with same routine every stinking night. The dog even knows what to do at 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, we do teeth brush, and we do bed, and we do the same routine every night. At 7.57, almost every night, one of my kids will start to beg and plead with us. Can we skip teeth tonight, please? Can we just skip t- What do you think? Can we, just, can we go to bed at 8.30 tonight instead of 8? Well, what do you think? We do this every night. And they beg and they plead and they beg and they plead. And the answer is no. Mom and dad know what's best and we do this. Now, if, if this was a re- reasonable attitude to have that when God is uncooperative, it may mean that he doesn't exist, then at that moment, my kids every night at 8 o'clock would be walking around the house going, there is no such thing as dad. Dad doesn't exist because he won't cooperate with me. And here's the problem. If you're sitting wherever you're sitting right now and going, well, God must not exist because he's not answering, he's not doing things my way, then this is just a way to think about life that you don't do in any other form of your life. So I'm going to ask you to hold it loosely today if you're, if you're struggling with this. Because life hasn't turned out the way you want it to or, the, or your prayers haven't been answered the way you want it to be, I, I want you to hold loosely today. Because in our worst seasons in life, And you know this is how it works in life, right? In fact, this is one of the reasons I believe God created seasons. And it's one of the reasons I love to be in the Midwest is because I think these seasons are all important to us. When it gets cold, you don't want to be running a marathon. But when it gets cold, we tend to put on new clothes. We tend to do something different. We, We look outside and we realize I have no control over that temperature gauge. There's, there's, this is one of those things in life I have zero control over. I just have to live with it. And seasons of life do the same thing. These moments in your life, not just specific instances, but these, these, these time periods where life is just this. You know, I just talked to one of my friends in the back who's a deer hunter. I said, how many you got this year? I mean, I've talked to him before where he's like, hey man, I, I've already filled all my tags. It's over. I got all the meat my freezer will hold and I'm done. I said, how many, how many you got this year? I'm used to him saying, oh, I've got a couple. I've passed on a couple big bucks. He said, I haven't even put a trail cam out yet. I haven't been in the woods yet. And I, the truth is, just in the season of life where I got kids and I got all this stuff, and deer hunting is a low priority, unfortunately. But the, the, and we go through these seasons. Of, some of you are in these seasons of life right now where you're just, you're just waiting, and that is hard. You're waiting for the, for the next thing to happen in your life. 
The problem is, in our worst seasons, we begin to think that if God exists and God cares, then surely He would do something on my behalf. I, I want to let you know today that God's lack of cooperation in your life is not an argument for or against His existence. So I want to stop that right there. When God is uncooperative with you, you need to know a couple things. I remember when I was a kid, and I still struggle with this. Risha and I talked about it all the way here. Um, and I told her, I kind of preached to her on the way here today, so she's hearing the sermon for the second time. I'm really sorry about that, honey. Um, but uh, but what, what we realized is that when, when God seems to be uncooperative, when we pray for the same thing over and over and over and over in our lives, and, the, and He just seems to be silent, or the answer seems to be no, we begin to think of one of a few things. We begin to think, well, he, maybe, he, maybe He's mad. You know, have you ever felt like that? That maybe because I, because I'm living like this over here, you know, because I have this sin in my life, God is just answering it, or just going to answer me no, or he's ignoring me. Because this is what we do, isn't it? If your spouse isn't doing what you want him to do, and he left the toilet seat up again, and you've been dealing with it for 10 years, you know what you do to him? You just kind of, silent treatment. This is what we do to people. It's, it's passive-aggressive. That passive-aggressive life, Americans do this. You know, there are other places in the world where there is no such thing as passive aggression. It's just aggressive aggression, you know? But passive aggression is something Americans do. And we've, become to, we've done this so much now in America that we begin to impose this on God. Like if I've hurt God's feelings somehow, or I've done something that causes God, um, that I know isn't what God wants me to do, then somehow God's just going to give me the silent treatment. He's going to be passive-aggressive. Now, you need to know today, God isn't passive-aggressive. He never, ever ignores you because you've done something to make Him mad or, may, or be wrong by Him. That is not who God is. By the way, not who you need to be. He's... His, his saying no or his not cooperating with you has no reflection on how much he loves you. It has no reflection on your faith. This is going to get me in trouble. There are people that listen to this sermon online who totally disagree with me, and I'm going to start getting emails. And there's a time in my life where I would not preach this because I was afraid of the backlash. But I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I am adamant about this, that God's blessing in your life is about God's faithfulness, not yours. Now, your faithfulness to God gets you rewards that He says come in heaven. Your faithfulness to God and doing what God says leads you to places in your life that you want to be, places like peace and hope and joy. But God does not look down on your life and say, because you didn't have any faith in me, I'm not going to give you the things that you want. Now, He does say things like, because you didn't ask, you didn't receive. And I'm not sure exactly what all that means. We're going to talk about that with prayer, and we're going to dig into that a little bit. But one thing I know is that when bad things happen to really good people, they happen to good people all over the world who are living a much better life than me and have a lot more faith than me, and sometimes God's incooperative with them too. See, it doesn't have anything to do with faith. It doesn't have anything to do with your obedience, God's will in your life. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, this is, this is the way, this is me just being really real today. You know, and I've said this before, Risha and I have struggled with money in our life. We've struggled financially in our life over and over and over with different things. And we've recommitted and we're going to be better here and we're going to sell this and then we're going to start doing this and we're going to budget and we're going to put cash in envelopes. We've done all those things. And we've committed and we've recommitted and we've recommitted. And then we pray for our company and we pray for our finances and we say, God, would you please bless us? Would you tell us where we need to be and would you take care of our bills and help us pay for these things and get us more work with our business so that we can pay for these things. And then it doesn't happen. And truthfully, it's kind of faith-crushing for us. But you know what 
I've been around God so long and I've been around church people so long that I don't start to believe God doesn't exist. That's not a problem for me. What's a problem for me is I believe I've caused the issue. That somehow, because I start to say things like this to God. I start to bargain with God. Have you ever done this? God, I'll tell you what. I will start budgeting this Monday. You get me three jobs from my business in the next three weeks and I'll start budgeting on Monday. All right, and go. Deal. But somehow we shake hands with God, you know? And, and then we go on and we bargain with God. And, and then it's somehow, oh gosh, we went out to eat three times and we promised God we would only do it two. I guess that's why I'm not getting what I need in my business. I want to stop that in you today. Because I believe that bargaining with God and that if I do this, then God does this thing, is so far from the way Bible talks about God's will and it's so unhealthy as a human, not just as a Christian, it's unhealthy to think that God is that manipulated by you. That you can get God to do whatever you want if you just make the right deal with Him. Or you just behave in the right way. He'll somehow go, well, I was going to do this, but man, John has been really good and he hasn't eaten out for lunch with the guys for like two weeks. i got to go ahead and give him this, right? See, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? But this is the way we live. I want to stop this in us. Because let me tell you, before we get to the whole thing about prayer, if you get into your prayer life and you start learning to pray and you're still under the impression that somehow what God's will is for your life is totally connected to the, the deals that you make with Him, you have missed it. So what I want to do today is I want to tell you a story. Um, and I, I love stories like this. In fact, the Bible is full of stories of these like heroes in the world. These people who have lived so much better life than me, who have done so many great things, and God says no to them too. Let me tell you this story. It's about a guy named Saul, um, who you can call him Paul. Um, he, God changed his name at one point, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but he was a Christ follower for about three or four years after the resurrection. Um, about, about four years after Jesus resurrected, rose from the dead, Paul, Saul became a Christ follower. And what happened was, he was at first, he, was, he thought the Jesus thing was a hoax. He totally thought this was somebody trying to get kind of uh, some leverage out of God. And so he decided to go around and stop this thing until one, guy, one day God knocked him off his horse. They say that, that, that Saul was riding onto a crusade to, to continue to kind of kill Christianity. And as he was going through this, this I, I picture it as a woods area, um, a light shone down from heaven and knocked him off his horse. I have to say some of us need to be knocked off our horse. Um, it just completely knocked him off his horse because he thought he was right and God showed him that he was wrong and that he needed to be committed to God. It blinded him, which we'll talk about in a second. It blinded him. That light did for a moment. and he, he, It took him a while to kind of get used to the light again. And he realized that the error of his ways and he dedicated his life. And for 20 years, this dude named Paul, he got in a boat. And Now, don't think like your dad's inboard-outboard boat here. Think wooden boat with oars and a rudder in the back that leaks like crazy. When I was a kid, my dad had a boat that every 20 minutes or so we'd have to stop fishing and bail um, because it leaked and we could never get all the leaks. In fact, part of my fishing experience when I was a kid was when we get home, just to get all, turn the boat upside down, let all the water out, dry it off and find the holes and bondo. Remember bondo? And that was part of the fishing experience. Guys, time to bondo. You know, that's what we do. Find all the new holes and we put the boat back in the water and 20 minutes, dad goes, all right, boys, put your fishing rods down, time to bail. And we'd all have our buckets and we'd bail water. That was our bilge pump at that point in our life. And picture that, only worse, because this is just a wooden boat. And not very many people were traveling this way. And Paul got into these boats, and he went all the way around the Mediterranean rim. 
and he shared the news that God had done something new in the world, that he had sent Jesus, and that Jesus was part God, and he had sent him so that we could live forever. And he went around, and he, uh, he is one of the reasons that Christianity is as big as it is today. He went through the Mediterranean Rim in a junky boat for 20 years. He gave his life to telling people he'd never met about this. He was shipwrecked, snake bit, beat up, stoned, and not in the way that our people are stoned. He was stoned with rocks. He was stoned and nearly drowned many, many times. He spent time with some of Jesus' disciples and he started churches. Um, He got to know um, the the big heroes in our faith. And listen to this. If you tune me out for a second, you need to hear this. This is huge. This is one of the best dudes ever to walk the face of the earth. In fact, there are some of the biggest churches and some of the biggest organizations ever created by humans have Paul's name on them. And let me just tell you something real quick. A thousand years from now, ain't going to be a church with your name on it. Ain't going to be a John Mitchell, St. John Mitchell of the whatever. Now, I got St. John because I'm lucky. I happen to follow a different name. But I can tell you this. This is one of the best ever. And Jesus says that. And God mentions this guy over and over and over again. Yet, here's what happened. Somehow, something happened to Paul. And we're not sure what it is. I have my own theory. But there, Paul has what he calls a thorn in his flesh. It's a physical affliction that he has in his life. And we don't exactly sure what it is. Now, some people have said that it was a woman or a relationship. Um, in fact, you've heard that phrase before. Oh, boy, is he a thorn in my side because you talk about your boss or whatever. You probably didn't know that actually comes from the Bible. Paul says that God gave him like a, a, what he calls a thorn in his side, this thing that's annoying all the time. There's some people think that maybe Paul had epilepsy and he had epileptic seizures. Some people think it might have been malaria, which was a really bad issue at that point in time, and nobody really knew that's what it was. I believe that he was blind. I believe that Paul was blind or what we would call at least legally blind today. He may have been able to see enough to get around a little bit, but I think it got worse and worse and worse the older he got. And he says this. Here's what he says. Paul says that next slide there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So Paul wrote these letters to all these churches that he had started and all these Christian people that were getting around following Jesus. And this was in a church in a place called uh, Corinth. And it was a church he started. And he writes to these people and he says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know, when he says Satan there, we don't know what he means by a messenger of Satan. We don't know if he meant literally this is like from the devil. I think it was more like, you know how when you talk, a vac- like a, I had a vacation from hell. Or how was your day? It was the day from hell. Was, that's what I think Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking figuratively. I think he says, I had a thorn in my flesh, and it was, it's like it's from hell. It's just like a life from hell for the, this part of my life. And he says, three times... I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So now I want you to get a picture of this. I don't want you to, because when we plead with God, here's what we do. We get up in the morning and we're like, hey God, I really need this thing. And All right, I'm going back to work. And the next day, for the second time, God, I, I, hey, just asking you again, can I get that thing I was asking for? And then, all right, and I have to drink a cup of coffee and go to work. And the third day, we skip, and then, then the next day, we ask God one more time, and that's three times. That's not the way it was with Paul. It was like seasons in his life. That's the way this is, is kind of worded, is that there were these seasons of time where Paul didn't do anything but beg God to get rid of this thing, whatever it was. I think it was blindness. And it bugged him, and it got him so frustrated. And it, it was to the point where it was impairing his ministry. It was impairing his life. And here's the worst part about it, if you're Paul. 
We have story after story after story of Paul watching God take people who were dealing with major afflictions. Blind people. Take them, people that had never done anything for God. People who had never been on a ship and gone and asked and tell people about Jesus. People who had never been stoned because they claimed Jesus Christ. People who had no connection with God in Paul's mind at all. And God would take them and just say, hey, you were blind, now you see. Paul goes, God, I'm not asking you to do something. I'm asking you to do what I've seen you do for so many people. Maybe you're sitting where Paul sits today and you're going, you know what? Other people have husbands that are good to them. That's all I'm asking. Uh, maybe you're sitting today and you're going, you know what? Other people lived in to be in their 60s and 70s without cancer. All I'm asking is just, to, God, take this from me. God, other people have kids who, who seem to behave. <laughs> now, other people have kids who seem to not, too. and We get that here at New Life if you need some hope in your life. But you might just look and go, hey, why? God, I've seen you do this in other people. Why? Not me. Now, if I, if, if I had to stop right here, and I'm not going to stop right here. I know you smell the food, but i got more to say. But if I were to stop right here, I, that's enough encouragement. To have a guy who has lived the kind of life that Paul has lived, to do all these things, and to have God say to him, in the midst of your life, as good as it is, the answer is still no, Paul. Now, can I prove to you now that it's not about your obedience? It's not about your faith. This man had more faith than possibly anybody on the earth at that time. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not in my will for you. Maybe you grew up in a church that said, you know what, if you don't serve, God's not going to give you things. If you don't give money, God's not going to give to you. Maybe you grew up that way, but I need you to know right now, that's impairing your relationship with God. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's not a good understanding of God. God is bigger than that. He stands outside of your obedience issues. This should come as a comfort to those of you who feel like God isn't cooperating because of something that's wrong with you. Because there weren't nothing wrong with Paul except what God wouldn't get rid of. And God said no to Paul. He said no. He said, God, Paul said, I, I asked him three times, like in big seasons of my life, God, I'm begging you to get rid of this thing for me. And God said no. But God made a promise to Paul that I have seen over and over in my life in this congregation. In fact, I can look through these pews and I can prove it in my life. I can see this. I see it through the Bible. He made a promise to Paul. He says, no, the answer to your question, Paul, is no, I will not get rid of this thing in your life. But I do have a promise for you. And I believe that promise is good for you today. So here's what I want to tell you to do. If you can put all this together in your mind today, I know you're praying about something. I know you want something. Maybe some of you have been wanting it so long that you've quit praying for it. You've quit believing there's a God. Here's the thing today. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that the answer might be no, but there is a promise attached to that. But it takes something from you, and here's what it is. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me this affliction, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, grace means a lot of different things. And if you've been around the church, you probably think of grace as what Jesus gave us on the cross. This word has a little different connotation to this. Every time this word in the Greek is used, the word grace literally means this. It means in the midst of my affliction, in the midst of my junk, the grace of God, the power of the, 
the one who created all this, gives me a different kind of an energy to take my foot and to step forward in the midst of whatever junk I'm going through. And not just survive, but to, to thrive with peace that passes all understanding. This is the promise from God to Paul. Paul, no, the answer is no. The answer is no. You're going to live with this thing. And it might hurt your faith at times, and it might be hard for you to understand. But I'm going to give you something that's even better. It's a power to walk through your life in the midst of this stuff. And then he says this. This is an amazing thing. He says, for in my power, for my power is made perfect. The word perfect does not mean good. It means complete. It means the best it can be. My power is shown at its best in your weakness. And guess what? The world, you, the earth, is about God proving His power to this world. And He's going to use your life to do that. You want Him to do that. Next slide. I, I want you to hear this. Wake up for a second because this is so big. That's a picture of Tim Tebow up there. Yes, it is. I know that feels out of context, but I'm going to tell you why in a second. Here's the thing. We want God to show His power in our lives. We all do. And we want to be a part. Here's, what, here's the picture we have. We have the picture, and this is a picture I've always had. I'm the quarterback, man. And I'm on ESPN, and it's like national championship before this whole playoff thing. It's the national championship, and I'm, I'm a college quarterback, or I'm a pro quarterback, and I throw the game-winning touchdown, and I run to the end zone, and I celebrate, and I point up at the sky at God, and then the ESPN comes over, preferably Chris Berman, comes over, and he interviews me, and he says, John, how did you get here? And I say, hey, I want to thank all the people, but first and foremost, I want to thank Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior, who died on the cross so that I could throw a touchdown today. And all the Christians and all my family say, thank God that he stayed faithful. And, I, and you know what? I love when this happens. I love Tim Tebow, and I'm so glad this happened, but it doesn't usually happen like that. And here's why. Because the people who are most powerful in their stories about the way God moves in their life don't throw touchdowns to win games. They're not Emmy Award winners who hold a gold plat, uh, platform at the end of the speech and say, and by the way, I want to thank God. And I'm so, I love that as a Christian. I love to hear that. But you know what? I don't get, my faith doesn't get built when Tim Tebow says, I love God and he's the reason I throw touchdowns. But you know when my faith gets built? When I hear the story about the single mom who got screwed in life, absolutely no reason, but led to the cross of Jesus, said, you know what, I will take no for an answer, God, because your grace is enough. And I have seen them walk, not survive, thrive with more peace than anybody who throws touchdowns and calls that their peace with more peace than money, more peace than those things. I've seen them thrive. That changes me. That kind of thing builds my faith personally. When it happens in Tim Tebow, I might get a cold chill, or I might, at an Emmy Award, I might go, well, yay, yes, there's a Christian, and I'm a... But when it happens to somebody, and it's a life thing like that, it builds me. Guess which one God gets the most out of? His strength is made full, complete, in our Weakness. So here's an explanation if one of these afflictions is in your past. Here's some advice if one of these things is coming in your future. And here's some comfort if it's in your current situation right now as we speak. God will, God has, and God is going to showcase His strength in your weakness. If, if, 
you're willing to take no for an answer. Now, what Paul didn't do was spend the next 30 years of his life crying about his infliction. He didn't spend the next 20, 30 years of his life calling all his friends and saying, why me? He didn't yell at God constantly and make his whole life about himself and about this problem that he's got. He said three times, I gave everything I had, and when I realized that God is going to do what God is going to do when God's going to do it, I realized all I need is God, this kind of grace from God, and I'm going to keep walking that direction. His strength and your weakness is proof of his presence in your life. It's not the cross that hangs around your neck. It's not the Jesus fish on the back of your car. It's not your perfect Sunday school attendance. We don't even have Sunday school here. It's not your church attendance. It's not even serving at the mall, which I believe there's a special crown for when you get to heaven. None of that thing proves the presence of God in your life. What proves the presence of God in your life is when others couldn't make it. When there is no chance of getting peace outside of God, you chose that kind of grace. You chose to take no from the creator of the universe for an answer. His strength and your weakness is his presence in your life. I'm going to tell you today what makes Paul, Paul. You know, I don't think Paul was the best speaker that ever lived. I don't think Paul maybe even had the most faith of any person that ever lived. I don't think it's what made him his name put on buildings. Here's what I believe. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said no. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. You go, what? This guy's inhuman. So that Christ's power may rest on me that all of his power may come to live where I live. Not that I talk about it, not that I read books about it, not that somebody posts something on Facebook and I like it, because that's what a lot of us think faith is and Christianity is, but to say, I want this to make a difference in my life right here, right now. Then you have to be able to say to God with all hope, God, I, I want this out of my life, but if you choose no, I choose grace because it's sufficient. And he says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, that's when I'm the strongest. I know that sounds like something in a Christian bookstore on one of those little plaques with a doily around it. But I'm telling you, if you do this with your life, it will change who you are. That thing that you've always wanted that you thought was just a little more money in your bank account, that thing that you thought was a full 401k or a beach house or a new set of golf clubs, that thing, uh, let me tell you, you're going to get it someday and you're going to find out that's not what you really want. This is it. It's the power of the creator of the universe doing tangible, real things in your life, and this is the way to get it. Next slide, Tanya. Band, you guys can come up. I'm about worn out. <laughs> I thought the marathon wore me out. Here's, here's what I want you to know today. If you've missed something I said, or here's what happens to me when, I, when God speaks into my life, it kind of just kind of starts swirling around like a tornado. I want to kind of stop the tornado for a minute, and I want you to hear these things. 
Hear this. We have permission to ask God to remove the things in our life, the thorns in our life. We have the permission to say to God, God, I want this out. I don't want this in my life, or I need this, or I want this. God wants you to do that, and He has given you the permission to do that. But at some point, you need to know that God has permission to say no or wait. And if you can choose to allow God to showcase His power on the stage of your weakness, it'll change your life. You know, some things will never be healed. Some things will never be fixed. Some things may never work out the way you expect for them to, but you know this? That's not a reflection of how much God loves you. You can experience God's sustaining grace. You can't experience this grace that we're talking about today. You cannot experience that sustaining grace if you're at the same time resisting His will. Many of you do this. Many, I've seen you many do this all the time where you're saying, I want God's will, but then you're mad and you're talking about it still and it was five years ago and you're still dealing with it and you're still praying for the same thing and you're still mad at God and you're still asking the question, why me? And you're going through these same exact things over and over and over again and I want you to know you can do that for the rest of your life and you're still a Christian and you're still saved by the blood of Jesus and you're still going to heaven. You're just not getting the benefits from it. You're not getting the benefits of Christ living in you. When you can let God be God. All right, that's enough. I love you. And by no means today am I looking at your life and judging you. If you came and you told me your story today, I'd be brokenhearted and I'd say, I feel the same way you do. But I want to objectively stand outside of that today. Stand outside of how much I love you today. And I want to say this to you. Don't go another day with understanding God the way most Americans understand God. Making up this bargaining chip. Can you imagine the bargaining power that Paul had with God? <laughs> Going, hey God, you take this thing away from me, I'll travel 20 years on a boat that I have to bail every 15 minutes. He had more bargaining power than just about anybody that's ever lived other than Jesus. Bargaining means nothing to God. If you can look at God and you can say, this is what I want, but I'll take no for an answer. Because your grace is sufficient. It won't happen all in one time. But today's the day to say, that's who I want to be. That's the kind of life I want. I want to learn to live like that. I want to learn to have that. I want to learn to have real tangible life with Jesus. I'm going back there in that corner if you want to talk about it today. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to step down here because we've got some people who have already told me they're going to come down today. And I'm going to step down here and I'm going to receive them. If today you want to be baptized, the water's warm and i got my ugly swimsuit back there. I'm going to put it on in a minute. Today may be the day where you say, I want to make this real in my life. I want to make a decision. Would you stand with us and sing this song? Just pray between you and God today. <clears throat>